Hello and welcome. It's David and Brent joining you again this week. Today is February the 12th, so um, it's a short month, so we're moving through this one pretty quickly. And just want to chat with you about some things that we've been writing about, we've been thinking about. Brent, I'm going to kick this one off on fertilizer prices. We have a new article up looking at fertilizer prices and sort of an interesting split screen in the headlines. One of them will be prices up double digit percentage from the fall. So nitrogen up, depending on the product at the USDA data, 10 plus percent. I think it was DAP was up, you know, 30% from its lows. But I think that's the other side of the screen, which we're coming off very historic lows. And so this fall, the prices for like a 180-60-60 hypothetical blend, we're at 10 plus year lows. And so we've seen a big increase off those lows, but it's still among some of the lowest in history. So we're around $100, $105 an acre for that fertilizer blend compared to 160 or 140 plus for several years during the earlier 2012, 13, 14. So I think there's a theme that we're going to see for 2021, Brent, is Things maybe are moving upwards on the input side, but they're coming off low costs. So the big story for the farm economy is revenue is up quite a bit back to 2014 levels on corn prices, but we haven't seen, say, fertilizer prices get anywhere near 2014 levels. There could be a lot of different things driving this, but uh, one has to note that there's probably a pretty strong demand. People are anticipating some pretty strong demand for uh, nitrogen given the corn you know, where people are talking about corn acres going this year. So that's part of it. And I know you all also talk a little bit about the relationship between oil prices and fertilizer prices and oil prices all of a sudden have kind of taken off too. So, but again, not, not anywhere near uh, where they were the last time fertilizer prices really got high. Right. So go back to 2014, that era, we had similar prices for corn, but fertilizer prices are, and nitrogen prices are considerably lower. What's the difference? Well, crude oil is 40 some dollars a barrel today, which is a huge increase from 16 back in the spring. I guess negative for a little bit, right? But the monthly average was 14 or 15. Back in 2014, that crude would have been 90 to $100 a barrel. So that's a huge part of this difference. So that model that we've replicated from Kansas State, which is really powerful, it's kind of tracking spot on with what you would expect. So it's built in these strong prices for corn, but low prices for energy and crude oil. And so looking ahead, we got to keep an eye on both of those. It's the combination that leads to high fertilizer prices, right? Strong corn prices and strong energy prices. Any of those ratios you look at, you know, like you said, the headline that we're seeing now is that prices are up. But the context is that they're still relatively low in the in the grand scheme of things, right? Yeah. And so that's really challenging for these narratives that we might be hearing about is they're coming off lows. And so it's a big increase, but it's coming off of lows. Speaking of headlines and deviations from lows or extremes, also updated our question on trade with China. Of course, for the last, since December of 2019, we had the question posed before phase one, what's the probability of China buying more than 35 billion of ag and ag-related products? We in no way, shape or form are trying to, I guess, grade China's achievements on the phase one targets. I think there's a lot of people out there doing that. And that's sort of a, an interesting, complicated process. We just want to say, will China buy a record amount of ag products? I'll let you go read the article, 
But I had to get really creative to find any sort of record-breaking measure. China's ag purchases on a dollar basis weren't a record for the calendar year 2020. They weren't a record on dollar basis for soybeans or on a bushel basis for soybeans. You can say that fourth quarter activity was the strongest fourth quarter activity uh, on a bushel basis for soybeans. But at the end of the day, China's back is a big buyer, but we haven't seen this huge, robust, record-breaking level. Uh, I think that's sort of a a reality that we've got to sort of frame it up. I was surprised by the data. I thought we were going to see some records. I guess I knew we didn't get to the 35 billion, but I thought we were going to see some really strong purchases. But the purchases kind of came late in the year. This demand story might not be as comprehensive or robust as we. I was initially thinking, maybe some of you listeners as well. David, you always teach me to uh, write the alternate headlines. And I think the soybean purchases one, the annual one, is is a good example of what you could do there. I mean, one headline might say Chinese soybean purchases rebound to just short of 2016's record high, implying that telling you that, look, we're not even back to where we were at in 2016 on soybean purchases. Or you could say Chinese soybean purchases triple from 2018 levels. The trade war, it just had a huge, huge impact that I think we're still trying to kind of recover from. I mean, our soybean sales to China in 2018 were 300 million bushels. Uh, This year, they'll go over 1.2 billion. It's really kind of mind-blowing how big of a wrench that threw in things. And so that's part of what you're seeing is just the rebound to kind of what was normal activity. I guess I was surprised because I see all, I'm like everyone listening, right? I see all these headlines, I read these Twitter feeds, and I thought it was going to be a, a big, big number. And I guess I thought I was already sort of protecting my thinking, realizing that we went from 1.2 billion bushels to 300. Like we wrote all these articles, but even I was surprised how it was just kind of back to the status quo of the pre-trade war. And in fact, it's kind of disappointing because we should have expected a little bit of growth off the pre-trade war levels. And maybe we'll get back to that, but long run story for China is bullish and it's big. And Brent, a year ago, you wrote an article saying the $40 billion question. Everyone was saying China's going to buy $40 billion worth of ag products. And there's some debate as to what that was really counting. But the idea here is we're not setting any sort of records. We're not seeing any sort of growth off pre-trade war levels. We're just sort of got back to the status quo. Now, that's good that's news, a, though. That's a good news, right? But I guess also don't let the good news turn into something bigger than what it is, right? I guess that's the other way you can disappoint yourself yeah. is take a positive story and blow it up to more than what it really is. And so let's just sort of root that and think about that. And that leads us to the third article, Brent, is confirmation bias. I'll let you uh, chat a little bit about this because I guess there's a little confirmation bias here that maybe I felt too and I was writing these articles. We have a new article up on, you know, just kind of explain a little bit about what confirmation bias is and how to kind of defend against it. And there's some really good links in that story that you want to think But confirmation bias is just that idea that we tend to seek out and believe opinions that confirm our thinking. So we have a assumption or we have a view of the world and we tend to find other people's who also have that view. And then that reinforces our thinking on it. We become even more confident in our belief and it's kind of, it's a dangerous bias that a common decision-making bias, but pretty dangerous one. 
and it's one that we talk a lot about. Uh, we finally wrote the article about it, sort of outlining and lay it all out. I was thinking about the confirmation bias with the weather. If you open one, how many weather apps do you have on your phone? And it's kind of like, well, you don't see the forecast you like. And the first one, you go to a different forecast and you go to another forecast and you look for the, the one that gives you the forecast that you like the most, like, or fits the, you know, maybe you want it dry so you can plant or you want it wet so you don't have to turn your irrigator on. So yeah, it's a, <laughs> I, that's when I always get myself. When I find myself looking through multiple weather apps, I'm like, yep, I'm on an expedition to confirm a bias. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I'm terrible at that. And it's so bad that I know which apps use the same model model because you can tell all of them are based off of the to some extent based off of from what i can tell the uh national weather service right i'm like oh i'll bet you this one's using the european model it's probably gonna look better you know so (laughs) it's kind of funny (laughs) that you would say that so brent one last thing i wanted uh you know we're always about challenging our thinking and challenging ourselves so brent there's something outside of our normal conversation you're involved with. And every year, I thought we'd talk about it because every year you mention it to me at the same time of the year because it's sort of an annual recap. So I thought maybe you'd want to share a little bit more about that. A few years ago, the University of Nebraska started this program called TAPS, which is, I can't remember what it was, Testing Ag Performance Solutions, Solutions, right? Uh, but what it really is is a contest where um, – the university has a, a farm or basically a research farm and they divide it up into little plots and each contestant or group of contestants gets a plot. You can tell them, you know, how much nitrogen you want to put on the corn, how much, how often you want it watered, what variety of corn to plant, a variety of decisions. And then of course, marketing. Our group has participated in it from the start uh, at the urging of a, a local person here who's pretty forward thinking. He got us involved in it and we've done very well in this contest over the years. We won it, the profitability one year. We were second this year and it's getting bigger and bigger. It's kind of, it's, it's an interesting contest. And so it basically lets you farm these 10 acres and make these decisions and then they can go through and track and see, oh, well, here's the wide range of fertilizer that was applied to all of these fields and here's you know what people's marketing strategies were and what they did and here's you know all these different things that uh, people can do i think it's a pretty cool contest it's been kind of fun our group is big we have 10 of us involved in it and people always ask me how we make our marketing decisions it's kind of a consensus base somebody gets an idea and it's like well just do this and so we basically just text back yeah go for it or not it's kind of a fun way to kind of get everybody talking and see what they're thinking it's pretty innovative program i think that they came up with so Brent, I'll share a story that I didn't tell you I'd share. Uh, I remember a few years ago, you were talking about this. And I called you one day. Oh, I'm looking up these nitrogen applic. I'm looking at the, the nitrogen report for how much nitrogen we should be putting on this field of corn. And it was kind of made me laugh, right? Because you're, you farm and you think about this stuff all the time. But this contest made you seek out new information, right? You were right. seeking information. You were trying to you know move away from that confirmation bias, you wanted to sort of challenge your thinking a little bit. You weren't just replicating what you did on your farm. 
this is in the eastern part of the state and you farm in the western part of the state. And so this is part of the, I need to find these reports and challenge my thinking a little bit. So I just think it's interesting. It's a fun way. It's sort of this game that allows you to test ideas and get feedback. And it's everyone's in the same field. And so everyone's making these different decisions in this same field. And then you compare all the results. And so you really can't say like, oh no, this was different. And it's replicated. I think that's the really neat part is there's replications. And so sure, somebody might get lucky. But when you take the replications, it starts to you know right. remove that. Weave these narratives that help you <laughs> confirm your bias, right? You got to kind of take the results and learn a lesson or two. Yeah, and it's also a good uh, lesson. And you know, you're always talking about understand the rules of the game. So you really need to understand if you want to win the contest, you need to understand what the rules are. One of they've changed them a little bit because do you buy crop insurance? Well, like I said, about 10 of us that are in this group and we all buy multiple parallel crop insurance. But in this contest, if you really want to win the contest, sometimes you do some more high variance strategies like not buy crop insurance. And they've changed that now and made you, I think, actually buy some kind of insurance. But it's it's interesting. It's, a, it's an interesting concept. And I, I thought that was, was clever that they came up with it. Well, that's all we have for this week. Thanks everyone for joining us. And we look forward to, you know, send some questions. We got a lot of questions. One of our listeners reached out with a question um, that Brett and I have been discussing on Bitcoin. So we're going to think about that a little bit. There are lots of topics out there from tax policy. So send us your questions. We'll be happy to look into those and think through them and no guarantees, but we'll at least uh, give it a thought. So thanks so much for joining us and we'll catch you all next week. Thanks. 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 Oh, 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 oh,